Thanks for joining me for another edition of Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Johnny Foster. As we continue our month of spooky history, I will be joined today by six-time author Deborah Coyle. Deb has written Cannon Beach, Hanish Nahomish, Ghosts of Leavenworth, the 1910 Wellington Disaster, and her latest book out now is Haunted Everett, Washington. Deb has a passion for local history, animals, the beach, art, and writing, and lucky for us, she enjoys sharing ghost stories. Deb, thanks for joining us. How did you get your interest in history and in ghost stories? Okay, well, let's see. History has always been uh, one of my passions, and ghost stories have just, it just sort of evolved. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, living in Snohomish was kind of the uh, the biggie because there really is a lot of haunted places there, and so they were always doing ghost this and ghost that. And, and then I had the uh, wonderful luck of actually working in a couple of the haunted buildings and experiencing stuff firsthand that I could not explain. So that was always interesting. Um, so I guess that kind of helped. And that's one of the things I love the most about the series is being able to combine both, you know, my love of history plus my love of the, the ghost stories and the legends and the lore and all that. Yeah. Do you want to share some of your personal experiences? It is our Halloween season after all. <laughs> yes, Halloween. Okay. So as for Snohomish, I was working in an art gallery and my office was downstairs. I was managing a gallery and the downstairs was vacant at that time, and this was the Merck's building, and it used to be the old um, prison, jail cell, and, of course, the first flushing toilet in Snohomish. Whoop, whoop. But, uh, <laughs> it's a big deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> it's a big deal in, like, 1900. So, anyway, uh, long story short, I was down there, and the, the bottom, the basement was roped off because we didn't want, you know, people going down there and whatever, homeless people or kids or whatever. And so um, I'm down there, and I see a man walking by, and I'm thinking, oh, gosh, you know, I'm down there by myself. And I was getting ready to get up and tell him, you know, you can't be down here. This is private, yada, yada, yada. And so I walk out, and I don't see anybody. And I thought, that's weird. Okay, no big deal. Maybe he went upstairs, you know. You know, you reason things out. I go sit back down, finish up my paperwork, and I see him walking by again. And I'm like, okay, this is getting weird. And then it kind of scared me because I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, Deb, you're down in this basement and at night by yourself, you know, and I don't even think I had my cell phone with me. And I'm thinking, well, this is not very safe because if it's some creep that came in off the street, not very smart. So I'm kind of getting nervous and I'm getting ready to tell him, you know, you got to go. And I have, you know, I'm at the door and again, I don't see him anywhere. And I'm thinking, okay, I just need to go home. This is creeping me out because maybe he's, you know, behind a whatever. So I got my purse, and I start, uh, I, as soon as I get out my door and start walking towards the stairs, I hear somebody just banging on the wall so loud, and there was nobody there, and it really scared me. And then I heard, to me, what sounded like a big wad of keys, like what a jail a jailer or whatever those people were back then would have on them, you know, the, the jangling sound, mm-hmm. and I just went running up the stairs, and my heart was racing because there was nobody down there. And another building I was in uh, across the street there, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, two blocks the other way, uh, used to be an old uh, mortuary where the uh, 
first embalmer was for Washington State, and that was his building. And uh, they called me in and said, you know, we're get, our waitresses are really getting upset because they keep getting grabbed and touched, you know. So I'm like, okay, I'll come down and see see what's going on. So I go down there, and this is probably the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, and I'm sitting there for, you know, a glass of wine's worth. I didn't, I didn't see anything. I didn't feel anything. I didn't hear anything abnormal. So I went home, and I texted him. I said, you know, I'm sorry, but I really didn't pick up on anything, not that I'm an expert, but I'm pretty good at that stuff. And I'm talking on the phone about other stuff, and I look down, and, Johnny, my hand was all crinkled-looking, like as if, um, you know, the kids, when they twist your arms, I mean, this is, I'm showing my age now, but when we were little, you know, on the playground, sometimes kids would twist the skin on your arms. It was called a Indian burn or whatever. I don't know. And it makes it look all weird and wrinkly. Yes. And I look down, and my hand is like that. And I washed my hands a lot, especially when I was working at the restaurant and stuff. And I looked down, and I'm like, why is my hand and wrist look so weird? So I took a picture with my phone, and he was trying to tell me that this has been happening to the girls there. And I took a picture with my cell phone, and I sent it to him. I go, is this what you're talking about? And he goes, yes. See, now do you believe me? And, oh, my gosh, it was so crazy. Because I sat there rubbing on it. I put lotion on it. I was, you know, thinking, what what could this possibly be? And that's when I found out that that was, this is before I wrote the book, that's when I found out that uh, that was the old mortuary uh, embalmers building. So I don't know what that was all about, but um, that was probably one of the weirdest experiences I had to actually have something physically, you know, and then I live in a haunted house here now in Wallace, but it's a good ghost. It's a magician. And, uh, I, again, I live here by myself, and I keep finding coins everywhere. And I'm refinishing floors and stuff, so I'm always picking up, you know, stuff that the cat or the dog are, you know, playing with. And I'm always coins. And I'm like, what the heck? And then one day they're lined all the way down the window. And, again, I'm painting the windows, so... I would have noticed that. I pick them all up, and I have a jar now that I keep coins in. And come to find out that a, I bought this house from a magician, and he used to do coins, coin tricks and magic tricks. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird that I keep finding coins everywhere. And last Halloween, I had to do some signings, and so I went to Washington, and I make my bed before I leave. That's just one of my weird things I do. So I make, you know, make everything tidy so you come back to a nice, crisp, clean house, and I come back, and there's coins on my bed. Now, wow. I cannot explain that either. And, again, I don't feel anything negative. I don't feel anything scary. I don't feel threatened or, you know, nervous or anything. I just feel like he's saying, hey, I'm here. Isn't this cool? I used to do tricks, you know. <laughs> so I have quite a few um, experiences. So yeah. it's just, you know, nothing really. The, the, the thing with my hand, that, uh, that was a little unnerving to me. That was probably the only one that really scared me because I don't really like to be touched by ghosts. I don't know what else to say. I don't like but, to be uh, touched, period. I don't yeah, like hunger or anything of that nature. So, yeah. <laughs> don't touch me. <laughs> so, anyway, so there you go. That's a few of them. I have a lot, but that's a few of them. Wow. Yeah, well, the mortuary one is definitely the scariest one. And I yeah. think the, uh, you know, and the one where you thought there might've been someone in the building with you, but it sounds like you're pretty comfortable with what you have going on in your house right now. 
Yeah, I do. And, um, you know, I, like I said, people are like, oh, you should smudge your home and this and that. And I mean, you know, this person is not being scary or negative or harmful or even he will turn lights on and off. And it was so funny. The basement lights keep getting turned on. And I had the electrician, you know, $4,000 later, had the electrician rewire everything and do everything. And Oh, no, the basement lights just come on and off all the time. And my dog won't go down there, so that freaks me out. It's like, stop it. So your <laughs> ghost is basically like, for your, my next trick, I'm going to make you spend $4,000 for nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, for my next magic trick, I'm going to make $4,000 disappear from your wallet. That's about it. Wow. But I said, you know what, if you'd like to start paying the electric bill, that's great. Keep messing with the lights. And it really hasn't happened since, so it's kind of funny. And, again, it might just be coincidence, but I thought that was kind of a hoot. Yeah, that's a good one. I made $4,000 disappear from your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You can have that uh, one. I'm going to put that in my next book. <laughs> well, speaking of so books, I am working on, uh, well, Go are, ahead. Are you working on another one now? I am. I'm trying to wrap up Ghost of Coeur d'Alene and the Silver Valley right now. Okay, well, we'll look forward yeah, to that but, one. Yeah, I'm excited. And as you know, Haunted Everett just came out, so mm-hmm. I'll be in Washington next month for some signings there and uh, a couple of little tours. Um, the museum does uh, ghost walks now, so that's kind of fun. So hopefully people will buy the book and use that as a as a guide for the different buildings. Well, speaking of Haunted Everett, and I was reading the, that book. Your latest uh, in that book, one of the stories has to do with one of the chapters has to do with the Everett Theater. And the mm-hmm. amount of witness stories you collected for that chapter, and these aren't just hearsay stories. These are personal accounts. You know, it's yeah. it was incredible how many people had experiences in that one building. And it, it seems like anytime you mm-hmm. have an old theater, there's ghost stories, not just a story. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's only part of the stories. I mean, it would have been a whole book. Seriously, there was that many stories that poured in from from that one. And some of them didn't want to be published. Some of them, you know, were just kind of weird stories. I was like, yeah, whatever. It's not very exciting. You know, I, saw, I think I saw an orb or something that... So I tried to pick out the best of the best. But, yeah, these are all eyewitness accounts. And she actually sent me multiple pictures that, uh, wow, I couldn't use them in the book because they weren't quite uh, clear enough or, you know, this or that quality or they were taken with a cell phone or whatever. But I personally have about 15 pictures that she sent as well that it's clear as day, you know, that something's there. Uh, I mean, you can actually see faces peering out from, like, behind this or behind that. and um, Yeah, and then, like you said, just the amount of on witnesses. And they have ongoing uh, ghost walks and ghost tours and paranormal this and investigations all the time. That is definitely the most haunted place in Washington, you know, in Everett. I'm sorry, in Everett. What would you say is the most haunted place in Washington State? I would still have to say Snohomish is the top of the top for haunted buildings in one area. I mean, they're actually organizing a ghost walk tour with the museum, too, because it's become such a, you know, a hot spot for that, for the paranormal activity. Now, Oxford Saloon is on the front of that cover, and that is definitely um, one of the hot, you know, the hot, hot spots for Snohomish. 
Uh, the only thing I've ever had is, you know, down in the basement, and I've had this happen to me because the basement used to be an open bar, and, you know, where there was TVs and pool tables and stuff. And, of course, I lived in Snohomish, so we'd go down there. But, um, but the only thing I felt is what some of the other people had felt. Once you're walking back up the stairs, you almost feel like somebody's, whole, you know, trying to say, no, stay down here. You know, they either grab your clothes or your hair. And, again, not a negative horrible way like they're being um, mean it's more like hey don't go type of thing um and one of the, <laughs> the drink with me come on <laughs> come on drinks two for one <laughs> yeah but snohomish is definitely very haunted um i you know uh cabbage patch there you know there's lots of lots of places in in snohomish that are that are haunted so leavenworth was more mischievous ghosts you know, and it was so, this is funny about Leavenworth. Trying to get stories from those people was like pulling teeth, right? When I was there trying to get all these stories. And now there's more stories coming in because I've, like, opened this door so it's okay that, you know, you might have a haunted building. <clears throat> but it was so funny. I don't know how many people said, oh, we're not haunted. Oh, but, but we have ghosts. And I'm like, okay, now what's the difference here? <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. So that was kind of funny about Leavenworth. But most of those ghosts. Uh, when you read the book, most of those are just more mischievous, you know. Yeah, in nature that way. Yeah, they weren't scary at all. So, I, at least I didn't hear as much. Or uh, one ha- one in Cashmere, a uh, secondhand shop, I want to say Cashmere, she's actually had to have, like, priests come out to her building. And I don't really like to focus on that type of negative activity. You know, I like to focus more on the spirits that are more, um, you know, happy, friendly, you know, a little scary maybe. Uh, so I hope that answers your question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I want to get back into Haunted Everett. And I know later on in this question you're going to see we kind of – you kind of spoke to it earlier, but um, yeah. it was surprising to see that there was a church mentioned. And I yeah. guess that makes sense as they are – there's a lot of joyful occasions in the building, like a church mm-hmm. and a lot of sadness. But the spirits at Trinity mm-hmm. – Episcopal seem to be very friendly. I also see that you connected the history of the building uh, with the ghost stories, and it really helps to add proof to accounts, and it right. makes the stories even more interesting. And I already know you have a love for history that goes not just for ghost stories and knowing the accounts of what happened, but you also have a love for the architecture of buildings, too. Uh, uh, love so that. Yeah. Are you... Has it been easier for you with these type of historic buildings that you've gone into that actually has a, a way to trace back the accounts of the story, such as, you know, they believe the, a former pastor uh, yep. haunts that church. Yep. So it's, you know, there is that line, direct line between this person did this when he was alive and he's still doing this now. Right. Yeah, I go back. Um, I try to back uh almost every building and story with historical facts. I will spend hundreds of hours going through old newspapers and old accounts and old ledgers and, and various th- things like that, and I love it. And Ancestry.com and, you know, all these things, these resources that you have. Um, I kind of go into this research vortex. Seriously, I just I, I get so obsessed. And when I finally get that connection to make it real, it's, it almost, you know, your heart skips a beat. You're like, wow, that's crazy. And I just went to a place called uh, the Murray House, built in 1884 here in the Silver Valley, and it's haunted. And 
she sent me a picture, and hopefully it'll be clear enough to be in the next book. But of a, she said I was, she was taking pictures for her website. They're trying to update their website, so she sees what was almost like smoke, and it's a very old building, so it's a no smoking period policy, and um, she sees like the smoke kind of coming across the banister upstairs. You know, she was downstairs taking a picture up. So she took some pictures, and in this one picture, you can see the man who built that house and was like the grand poopaw of Murray back back in its heyday. Uh, you can see his face so clearly because he had this huge nose and this big, thick, turned-down or mustache that came down, and his mouth was kind of turned down, and a lot of times he had a pipe in it, right? A very obvious face. So she sent me a picture of... Allback, I think it was. I think his name was Allback. Um, it, it's exactly him. I mean, you could superimpose his face over that image that she caught in the smoke, and it's just absolutely undeniable. And so it's kind of fun when people, you know, do that. And of course, I had to research about him, and he was. He was. You know, he brought in the fire, just the fire department, and water, and you know, he he was the grand poopah of town. So. It makes sense that he doesn't want to leave, you know, his yeah. town that he loves so much. But I love connecting the dots that way. And one thing about the church that I found interesting is a lot of churches I've talked to, even if they are haunted, don't want to promote anything spiritual or whatever because maybe it goes against what they believe in or, you know, this and that. And so I found it very fascinating that this church was so openly uh okay with the fact that they're, they're building this haunted. So I, I find that interesting that they are so happy that, you know, they believe the, the pastor is still there. And again, he doesn't want to leave. He did so much for that community, uh, just endless amounts of stuff for the community and the church and its members and stuff. So again, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, why would he want to go anywhere? I love the fact, like, with the Canella Nelson murder in Everett, I found that so fascinating that, you know, you go back into the, you're reading the transcripts and you see the old hand-drawn maps and, you know, you actually, I went to the site and it's just like a parking lot now, but, you know, you go to the sites where these things have happened and, and that's one thing I love about what I'm doing too is um, I get a lot of calls from and emails and stuff from te- teachers and parents with a, uh, you know, thanking me, they're they're like, you know, love, love, love the fact that you, in your books, that you have both ghost stories and such intense, detailed history about the towns, because I cannot get my kid to read for nothing, let alone want to learn anything about history. And, uh, you know, some of these, you know, like the library at Leavenworth, she said there's over 100 kids on the wait list for my book, you know, Ghosts of Leavenworth. And so I, I'm going to go donate like 10 books to the library, you know, when I'm there next week and stuff. But I think that's awesome that I feel like I'm doing something to help kids get away from their computers and their cell phones and actually read a book, you know, because I just don't think kids do that that much anymore. And it's really nice to do something about, you know, helpful, helping that way. Yeah, absolutely. The teachers Teachers are loving it. The history teachers are loving it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to get kids interested in history is by doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's great. So one thing I wanted to ask you is you've had personal experiences. Uh, in yes. the books you talk about having a near-death experience. You've had signs yes. from your deceased mother that she was okay. 
And even in the great state of Hawaii, one of my favorite states, you captured on film what could be the ghost of famed aviator Charles Lindbergh, who moved to Maui and wanted to die there when he became sick. Do you think your near-death experience has maybe put you in tune to experience these type of things more than a normal person or would be able to? Absolutely, because it didn't happen before. And um, I... It actually was a little scary to me at first after um, after my near-death experience because I didn't really understand it, what was happening. I thought, you know, I knew I had some brain stuff going on from, you know, the lack of oxygen and all that, but uh, I didn't know what. And so I do feel like that's really opened up a realm for me, and then I find out that's actually common for near-death experienced people. They do experience... Uh, a connection more than um, people that haven't. And it used to be really, really, really uh, intense, and I almost had to back off a little bit because I couldn't hardly go a day without something happening or, you know, somebody wanting to connect. And then, of course, when people found out, oh, could you talk to my great aunt Lulu? And, I, you know, it's just like, oh, my gosh. But I'll tell you another cool Snohoma story. So I get these things, like you said, these, I don't know what you call them, Emily, but uh, they're almost like a dream state. And I was waking up, and I had this lady, this woman, like a teenager, and Claire Gillespie was her name. And again, this is interesting about going back through history. So I, I get this image of this young girl, you know, crossing over on the wagon train, uh, from back east and yada, 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 and that, you know, she died and all this stuff. And uh, it was so strange. I go walking around the little cemetery behind uh, the Collector's Choice restaurant there in Snohomish, and I don't even know why I went to that cemetery. It was the only cemetery I really knew of in, in that area. And I'm looking at all the headstones thinking, oh, maybe I'll find this and it'll validate this lady, you know, yada, yada, yada. All the tombstones, nothing, 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 nothing. I'm like, I was a little bummed thinking, wow, Deb, you're always accurate, and you are way off on this one. Right then, Johnny, I turn around, boom, there's her tombstone, and it's facing the wrong way, so I didn't Hmm. see the name. There's her name, Clara Gillespie. And again, my heart skipped a beat. I was like, oh, my gosh, there she is. There's her tombstone. This is the one that came to me. And so, again, I started doing some research. Uh, Her and her dad, I believe, was a priest. Uh, They came out on the wagon train, and sure enough, she got killed right, you know, down there at a horse accident, a buggy accident in downtown Snohomish when she was looking for a wedding dress or something. And I see a picture of her, and it looks exactly like what I saw. And so, again, I talked to a local historian there, and they did tons of stuff on the history of Snohomish, and... Uh, he showed me her name in one of the ledgers from, you know, the late 1800s. Um, and it was just, again, so cool to see validation from some, one of my experiences with the tombstone, with the research, with the name in the history. It was, I love it when, like I said, when the dots connect like that. That's always very exciting. But, yeah, I, I pick up on a lot of stuff, but I don't... Um, Again, it can kind of take over your life, and so I just kind of, you know, yeah. take a left instead of a right. Yeah, I don't blame <laughs> you about that at all. <laughs> I know. I don't want to go too far into that, but yeah, 
it definitely does open up um, your your realm. And there's lots. I have lots of other experiences that um, you know we don't have time for it. But my my husband's mom had just passed away, and everything in her life had something to do with the dragonfly. And I was not able to go to the you know her little service. And uh, it hit me about two weeks later that she had finally passed, and she was a lovely, wonderful lady. And I'm in my living room bawling and having coffee because I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, Mom, I couldn't be there, you know, what what you do when you mourn. And the weirdest thing happened, Johnny, because I have a (laughs) magic match on my front door because I don't like flies. You know, I just can't stand flies, but I like fresh air, and this is a big house. And so I had my screen door thing up. And I'm in my living room, and this ginormous dragonfly somehow got in my house and landed on my hand and just sat there. And it was so – I could tell it was, it was spiritual. It was like an experience, you know. And I remember I grabbed my cell phone and I took a picture because I'm like, nobody's going to believe me. And the dragonfly just hung around for about four hours, and then it flew off. And I'm thinking, I texted the picture to everybody up in Canada. I said, I was sitting here bawling over Phyllis, and somehow this huge dragonfly, when I've never seen a dragonfly in Idaho at least, I'm sure they exist, but I haven't seen any, and certainly none in my house. And I said, this dragonfly somehow got through the screen thing, and that was the only door or you know thing I'd even had open. And I said, it came and it landed on my hand. And I said, I feel like it's a sign from Phyllis saying, Hey, I'm okay. You know, I'm I'm doing okay, and uh, uh, you know, it was just a beautiful experience. You know, so I'm glad you get to have that experience too. And it, it, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not sure about dragonfly migration, but it's weird that you know you only had that one door open that even had a screen on it, where it would be hard for that dragonfly to get in. Yeah, and then, like I said, I took it. I took it outside on my porch, and I put it on my flowers, and it just sat there. It just hung around, and I kept checking on it, and, you know, like four hours later, it's still there. And I was talking to my neighbor. I saw she had a dragonfly in her rearview mirror, and I said, oh, oh, I didn't know you were a dragonfly person. She goes, oh, yeah, I love them. They're a very spiritual, you know, insect. And I'm like, oh, weird. So I tell her this story, and she goes, oh, no, that's very common. That's Dragonflies are known talismans for, you know, letting people know that they're whoever is okay. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know that because it just happened to me. And I think that's pretty amazing, you know. And in what better way for her to – I didn't think – it wasn't her, like the spirit of Phyllis. I felt it was more like a sign that she was okay. And what better way? There's no, you know, a tapping on a door or something. You know, there was no better way for her if this is what she did – and I and I firmly believe it because she loved me and I loved her. Um, what better way to show somebody that, hey, I'm okay? You know, the way she personally would do it would be through a dragonfly. It makes perfect sense. So, again, it's kind of hard to prove or disprove, but pretty convincing, you know. Especially if that was something she enjoyed was dragonflies. Let me ask Everything. you. Let me ask you this too, real quick before we before our time is up. Uh, now, for someone who's wanting to research ghosts or find out ghost stories, have you found it to be challenging to know that somebody had something happen to them or may work at a place that's purported to be haunted? How easy is it for people to open up to tell you their stories? 
Some people can't, talk, you know, stop talking. They jump. They get so excited that they have somebody to tell the story. Because you know, a lot of people don't want to feel like, oh, I don't want, I don't want people to think I'm crazy or whatever. But I think with all these ghost hunting story, uh, you know, TV shows and groups and stuff now, it's a lot more acceptable, I think, to say, hey, I have a ghost or I have had this weird experience. You know, people accept it more. Um, I don't think I could say that 10 years ago. You know, I think people are more fascinated with the afterlife and the possibility of ghosts and hauntings and stuff than they ever were. And some, and then some people just, you know, freak out. Oh, don't talk to me. You know, and that's a very few. I would say 1%. But most places and people, places I go and people I talk to, they're very open and are, cannot tell me their stories fast enough. Now, I wish they would come out before my book sometimes because, like I said, now when I go to Leavenworth, everybody's got 10,000 stories to tell me, whereas I wish I had that, that many when I was trying to write the book because, you know, people were like, oh, we don't, you know, we want to be known for the German thing, not haunted. And, you know. But now, like I say, I, I, more ghost stories. Than, and now I, the post office there in, in Leavenworth, I went there for dinner after a signing last summer, and, oh, geez, I must have had 20 people come up to me and tell me ghost stories. I'm like, where were you last year? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that means well, there will so, be a part two. Yeah, a little addendum in the back of my book. More going stories. Well, Deb, thank you so much. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you for inviting me. It was wonderful. Thanks again to Deb for joining me, and thank you for listening. Remember, you can find all our titles haunted and on any historical subject at ArcadiaPublishing.com and by visiting your local bookstores. If your local bookstore doesn't have Arcadia Publishing and History Press books, ask for it. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another spooky tale.